Good morning. As you guys can tell, I lost my voice. Um, we were all sick last week, and it was like sort of weak. And then my the end of my shift Friday, it was like going. And then we had a work event last night. And uh, I turned to Rob, and I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to talk that much. And then you guys know I'm not really good at that. So um, for, those of you, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Nate Foreman, um, one of the leaders of Siebert MC. Um, that's the informational community if you guys haven't been a part of or around Cross City a lot. We meet once a week typically in our uh, missional community families where we like learn and grow and try to live missionally together. Um, I'm a pediatrician by training, so uh, you might hear some of that come out today. Um, perfect. Well, welcome. Really excited to be here. Let's just uh, pray and come before the Father. Um, Lord, we are so grateful for your word, for the way that you teach us and guide us. Um, we recognize, um, I recognize my complete and utter need for you. And Holy Spirit, I invite you to this place to speak through me. Teach us out of your word that we would know and uh, love and care about you more. Um, Lord, I recognize I don't have much in myself. And if nothing else, the fact that my voice is gone right now is very um it's just obvious, and so, Lord, we need you. We need you, and um, we're so grateful for you. In your name I pray, amen. Advent is a really, really sweet time. Advent, if you don't know much about that word, Advent is kind of the time, uh, this time of year in church history where we spend some time thinking, praying, talking through, and really focusing on Christmas. Um, but it's not just like Christmas time. Christmas time is crazy. Uh, if you guys are anything like my family, things are, like, going insane. There's, like, holiday parties and Christmas caroling and end of year this and lots of things going on. Family coming in town, family going out of town. Um, so I feel like uh, Advent is almost, like, the opposite in my brain of, like, Christmas time. Christmas time is, like, insane, and Advent is, like, slow down, focus, remember, um, and so I think it's something that we really need to be intentional about, and we I as a church try to be really intentional about it, but we as individuals also really need to be intentional about it. Um, thanks, Andrew, for reading that uh, devotion. It was really, really great. Um, but it's a time to really stop, slow down, reflect, and remember Christ, why he came, and the manner in which he came, because that's really uh, very important. Um, that we can focus on Jesus, that we can celebrate his life, and we can remember his death. So I'm going to read um, our passage again, which is 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Thanks, Jasmine, for reading that. I'm going to read it again, um, but kind of in a heretical fashion from what most of Cross City. Let's not read it together. I just want you to close your eyes and listen to it, and this would have worked a lot better if I had a voice. Um, but let's just close our eyes, and I want you to listen to this passage, and I want you to listen to this passage in light of remembering that we're focusing on Jesus. We're focusing on why he came, how he came, and the life that he lived. Just, just listen. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be propitiation for our sins. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. You can open your eyes now. Um, our Advent series, we're kind of focusing on three specific things, the, the uh, four specific things, sorry, the gifts that we find through Jesus, hope, love, joy, and peace. So today, obviously, we'll be focused on the gift of love. In this passage, we see love mentioned 12 times, um, so it's obviously a big deal. Um, but I wanted to take a little bit of time to define love because it's the understanding of what love is from this passage is maybe a little bit different from what we use in the English language. Um, I love my wife. I love tacos. I love Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> but those loves are maybe a little bit different from each other, hopefully. So <laughs> sorry, Robin. She's at home with our youngest who's sick. Um, uh, but, like, love doesn't mean the same thing. In fact, I say, like, all the time, I'm like, oh, I love that. But I don't actually love that. And so, like, words are important. And the word that, the word that we're using for this passage when you talk about love is really probably different than any love that we talk about, the word that we use any single day. Um, uh, Google because we always find things good from Google, <laughs> defines love as an intense feeling of deep affection, a great interest, and pleasure in doing in something, a feeling of deep affection for someone, or to like something very, very much. That's really not the love that this passage is talking about. Um, so I really want to, as we approach learning about Jesus, his gift of love, the way that he loves us, and, and understanding this passage, and celebrating Advent better, really want to take some time to know kind of like what love is, and maybe spend a little bit of time talking about what love isn't. So if you think about love, <coughs> excuse me, in, in the Bible, um, uh, there's like a classic passage, 1 Corinthians 13, that talks about love, um, and it spends some time talking about some things that love isn't. Uh, it says, love does not envy, it does not boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it's not insist on its own way, it's not irritable, it's not resentful, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. In short, one of the biggest things that love isn't is selfish. Um, love isn't focused on self, it's not consumed by my, my passions, my desires, um, love isn't pushing my own agenda, it's love, it isn't wanting what I want, um, and it doesn't demand my own way. Um, Philippians 2 talks a lot about uh, humility, but those kind of go really hand in hand. Um, Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more important than yourselves. Count others as more important than yourselves. Um, this is really helpful mindset to have, and it's a question that I think is really helpful to ask yourself is, am I thinking of my wife, my brother, my sister, my toddler as more important than myself, that person who got me off in traffic um, as more important than myself? Um, love, also in this passage, it says it's not irritable or resentful, which is really hard. Um, day to day, it's really easy to be irritable. It's really easy to be resentful. Um, but love is not those things. When OSU loses a football game, <laughs> I had to pull a Scott Burns and look at Kevin Heller for that one. When you get cut off in traffic, when somebody's nagging you or, or being frustrating, um, love isn't irritable or resentful. 
And then something in this passage kind of like tags on at the end, or sometimes we just kind of like run through it. Love does not rejoice in long doing, but rejoices with the truth. I feel like this is really poignant in today's society where um, it's like commonly held that if you like love someone, you have to affirm everything that they do, and you have to say that what they, everything that they do and think is right. Um, but that's not what this passage says. In fact, this passage kind of says the opposite, that if you love someone, you won't rejoice in their wrongdoing. You won't affirm that. Um, but you'll rejoice in the truth. Um, So some things that love is. Love is patient and kind. Yes, love waits patiently. Love is in it for the long game. Sometimes some translations say long-suffering. So love suffers long. Uh, It's not just in it for the short game. It's in there for the long game. Um, 1 John 3.16, we learn that love is sacrificial. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And so we also ought to lay down our lives for, um, for our brothers. And John, 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 he's the disciple that Jesus loves. So he, you get a lot of love passages from this guy. But John, in John, fi- John 15, not first John 15, John 15. So this is Jesus' last kind of teaching to his disciples before Jesus has already gone away to get all the Pharisees and, and bring the guards all to the garden. Um, and so Jesus kind of like teaches his disciples and he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So love is not just words or feelings. It's backed by actions. It's backed by obedience. Um, so in order to really understand um, the what God means by love, we have to really understand, uh, we really need to have a clear understanding of the meaning of love so that as we look into the gift that Jesus is of love for us, um, that we can have a, f- a f- pure and uh, more real understanding of how amazing that is. But God shows us great love. Um, probably the first verse that most of us memorized is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then he goes on in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It's pretty incredible to think about a father sending a son the love that that has to be that a father would send his son. And remember, this isn't, I, I think it's easy to think of like, yeah, God so loved the world. Um, but it's, I think it's helpful for me to like step back and think like, no, this is like the almighty, infinite creator, sustainer of the universe. He's omnipotent, om- omniscient, omnipresent. He, this, he is the beginning, he's the, he's the end, he's eternal, he's outside of our understanding of time. And this is the God who literally said in four words, let there be light, bam, and there was light. Well, I don't know if he spoke English, but <laughs> he said in a few words, let there be light, and that's how powerful his words are. Um, and this is the God who loved you and me so much. Um, it's pretty incredible. He took his only son, and he sent him to the world because he loves us. First John, going back uh, to verse 9 Um, In this, love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son for us to be the propitiation for our sins. This is what we celebrate during Advent season. God's great, amazing, impossible to understand love, that he would send his only son. And I want to read... a Christmas passage, because I think it's really fitting, um, and to think about this passage in, this, in the light of God's love for us. 
So Luke 2, 4 through 7. And Joseph went down, went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in the manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. I don't know about you, but if someone were going to tell me that the almighty God of the universe was going to send his son into the world, I would not have come up with this way of doing things. Um, They were traveling from out of town. None of their family members let them stay. Jesus' first bed was a feeding trough. My pediatrician heart is like, safe sleep. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Um, I'm sure it didn't smell great. I'm sure it was not cleanly. You know, when we think of like, where we lay babies these days, it's like clean, you know, bedding. They're wrapped up in swaddling cloths. And Jesus was born in like a gross stable with a bunch of like animals around him. And this is what God sent his son into. And this is literally, it's incredible that God decided to write this story this way. Like, I want this to be the way that my son is. This is how much I love you. Jesus also showed us great love. And we often talk about God's love in sending his son, but it's important to realize that Jesus also really loved in such an amazing way. Jesus chose to leave the side of his father, chose to leave eternity with him, and come to be in this world and be born into this gross stable um, to this young, you know, virgin mom who everybody kind of ostracized because they're like, yeah, okay, whatever, you're a virgin. Um, John, again, one. Uh, one through five, he says, in the beginning was the word that is Jesus. And the word that is Jesus was with God and he was God. And in the, he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. Jesus was born into a stinky stable surrounded by animals. He was witnessed by shepherds, which a lot of us know shepherds are not the most upstanding citizens of the day but he dedicated his life to showing us love he didn't just die for us because he did but he also came and he lived 33 years on this earth because he loves you and me and on top of living a full life he chose to make that ultimate sacrifice that we've already talked about by showing love in his death in john 10 he says i am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep again i think if i would have written the story of the world, I don't think I would have come up with this. In fact, Romans 5, he says, for one would scarcely die for a righteous person. For a good person, somebody might die. Um, Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were enemies. Colossians 1 talks about, and you were once alienated in mind and doing and evil in deeds. And he has now reconciled his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We were enemies. We were aliens. Everything in our heart and minds were against, the, were against God, were against Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm going to die for you. I'm, I'm going to come. I'm going to be born in stable. It's going to be stinky. It's going to be gross. I'm going to live this life. It's not going to be easy. And then I'm going to die a really awful, awful, gruesome death because I love you. It's really incredible. Again, going back to that same passage in John 15, this is the last teaching of Jesus before he died. And he said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
Greater love has no one than this, than someone would lay down his life for my friends. And you are my friends if, I com- if you do what I command you. Jesus came. He lived a full and selfless life, full of love, and he died an awful death because he loves you. He cares about you, and he loves you. And that's so incredible. Andrew's going to come up and conclude and talk a little bit about what that means for us. brother (laughs) Nate's a trooper this morning he he was touch and go he was like I don't know man I don't know but yeah he pulled through so thank you for that brother thank you for uh pushing through your vocal cord uh hindrances there for us um but it's such a such a helpful reminder for us as we um one as we on multiple levels right one as we begin to think about what it is that we're doing during this time this season that seems like the whole world sort of adjusts right for this time and and so it's like well, what is what is actually happening here what is there, there are conflicting messages there's the world's perspective there's the church's perspective there's the the other church's perspective and this other church's per- like what, what's happening here and as we think about what what god has set forward to do in and through the advent of jesus coming to us and it's significant. There, there's significant depth to what is happening here. And I think what we see that, what Nate was telling us from, from this passage, um, is such a helpful reminder for us that uh, when we think about this concept of love, that is all throughout the, the scriptures, and especially in the New Testament, we see this word used a ton. John uses it an awful lot. Um, and I think Nate helps, helped us to see, like, when we, when we look at a text like this in 1 John 4, and we, and we see this word littered throughout this text. It's very similar to what Scott and Tristan talked about last week. When we, when we read through our Bibles and we, and we encounter that word hope, and we, and we read it and, and it goes into our Western American minds and we go, oh, hope. Yeah, I know what hope is. But as they taught us last week, it, if, we're, if we're careful with how we're looking at Scripture and we're, and we're incorporating what we know from the rest of the Bible, when we know about the character of God, what we know about what, who He is and how He acts and uh, the, His nature, if we're not careful, we can read that word incorrectly. And it can cause us to go down paths that we shouldn't go down. And it can color what we're reading in a different ways that, that, it, shouldn't, that it shouldn't. So in that same way, right, when we, when we encounter the word hope, and it says that, hey, God is actually hoping, right? And we learned last week that in our minds, when we hear the word hope, it's sort of like, oh, I wish it would happen, or maybe it, it probably won't, but I kind of wish that it would. That's sort of our default definition of hope. But when we see that being spoken about God, we go, wait a second, that, that, can't, be, that can't be true because we know that God doesn't like wishfully hope for things to happen. God, uh, God decrees that things will happen, right? He purposes that things will happen, and then they happen. That's how it works with God. And this is what we see all throughout Scripture. That when God says something is going to happen, it happens. So for us to, to take our definition of hope and to put that on Him, we know that can't be right. So we have to, we have to come back and, and, and extrapolate out from God what the true meaning of what that's saying when it says that God 
hopes or that we should hope. There's more certainty to it. There's a different definition. There's a different color that's given to it. And then so in the same way, as Nate was starting to unpack for us, it's a similar thing when we look at this word love. We have to do a similar sort of exercise in our minds because we have to deconstruct a little bit what that word actually means and what is being intended for it to mean in Scripture. Um, So when we use the word love, as Nate said, we, we usually referring to it in different ways, right? He, he loves Dwayne Johnson, which was news to me. That's fine if he wants to like him. I'm not a big fan of his movies, but he's a good guy, I guess. But, but right, we do that, right? And he's so right. Like, I love those clothes. I love this pizza. I love my best friend. I love my grandma. And we just, we kind of throw this word around. We don't think anything of it. But, but for us, what, what happens is the, the context in which we use the word helps us to define that word. But in, in, the, in the way in which we do that is we, we usually apply two sort of variables to that, right? Either the worthiness of the, the object of love. So, right, my wife is more worthy to me than a piece of pizza. So, so we're able to say, okay, I, I understand that he loves his wife differently than pizza because his wife is more worthy to him than the pizza, right? Or, or we, we attach to it sort of an emotional sentiment, Right. A level of emotional sentiment. And that helps us to sort of define what we mean when we say love. Right. Uh, I I love my wife with a different kind of emotions than I do a piece of pizza. Usually. You you see the context in which we say it. Right. But in the Bible, it's different. Right. The the Bible uses this word differently. It actually have different words for the word love. And you might you probably heard this before. But we can tell the difference when we say it for us. But in the Bible, they actually use a different word. And the biblical word here is agape. And hopefully you've heard that word before. You've heard somebody teach on that word before. This word agape that is used specifically in this passage and all through the New Testament in the, in the Greek. And just like it's important for us to remember the proper meaning for the word hope, it's just as important for us to use the proper meaning of the word love when we read texts like this. And when we think about seasons like this, when we sing songs in church that talk about God's love. And we read, uh, we, go, we watch a football game and we see somebody holding up a sign that says John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world. What does it mean when we say that word? What does that person think it means? It's important for us. Because if we, if we insert our sort of lowly emotion or value-based definition um, into the text we're going to have a misunderstanding about what it is that God is doing to us and in this text helps us to actually think in light of of what God is intending it, it gives us the parameters by which we should think about love it gives us the the framework right this idea of biblical love this agape is not based primarily on the value of something or the worthiness of something. And it's not based primarily on the emotional feeling that one has towards someone or something. Those things can be a part of it, but that's not the foundation of this kind of love. This is, this is built upon something else. Agape love in the Bible that we see here, agape love is a commitment. It's a committed love. It's an active love. 
And it's not based on value. It's not based on worthiness. It's not based on emotion primarily. It doesn't mean that those things aren't involved. It's not a cold, indifferent love. It's not begrudging love. It just means that this agape love doesn't come out of one's worth or the emotions that we have towards someone. And what we actually see in texts like this is that agape love originates and is sustained despite emotions. Or the worthiness of the object of that love. Right? It's, it's not only is it not based upon that, but it's not propelled by it. It's not sustained by it. And we see here in this text that if we're looking for a definition of love, well, we start here, right? It tells us pretty clearly, God is love. There's your, there's your first point of, okay, what is love? How do we figure out what love is? First point, 1A, God is love. Okay, but the tricky part is we can oftentimes hear that and go, oh, okay, well, God is love. So, okay, cool. So I know what love is. So I'm going to take that and that's going to tell me, okay, that must mean this is what God is like. If this is what I think love is, then this is but this must be what God is like, because God is love. You just told me that. But actually what we're we're doing there is we're flipping the script a little bit, right? Love isn't God. God is love. And we define love based upon God and his character not based upon our preconceived notions like Nate was talking about. And so it's important for us. And we look at all the texts that he just shows us, right? The Bible begins to build out this, this uh, framework, right? First Corinthians and Philippians and all these places that he showed us so wonderfully. We put all these pieces together and we go, oh, okay. So I, I take those things and I let those things collide with my own heart and with my own mind. And when I hear that and when I read texts like this, I don't just go, oh, okay, well, well, God is love. That means, no, we say, what is God like? What is his character? What is his nature? How has he, how has he interacted with me? How has he interacted with his people throughout history? And we see very quickly that it, it, it's very different than what we, we come to expect. Very different. And it tells us. That we, if we're, if we're careful, if we're paying attention, and if we're reading the rest of our Bibles, that we are actually not worthy of this love. So it couldn't be based upon that. So, if, so if, if, it's, if we're basing it upon the worthiness of something, if something actually deserves love, that can't be what's happening here. Because the, the rest of the Bible is very clear that we actually don't deserve to be loved by God. Because we actually... The Bible says we actually hate him in our flesh. We actually, we don't, we don't bring glory to him. We demean him and we rebel against him. We're completely unworthy to be loved by God in the way that he has loved us. And it says that the most clear way the Bible uses this word manifest, right? This very clear way that God manifests, He makes His love very clear and seen to us is the fact that He sent His Son to us that we might live through Him. That's what it says. 
This is the way that God makes his love for us manifest. It makes it seen. He makes it known. He demonstrates it. Because oftentimes we wonder about, we wonder about that, don't we? We wonder, does God, does God love me? Does God, God, do you even care about me? Do you love me? Do you see me? Do you, do you know that I exist? And God's like, yeah. And we, we want to put him through our test, though, right? We said, God, if you, if you actually love me, then, then this would happen, and this would happen, and this would happen, and this would happen. And God says, that, that's not the test. That's not the way that you see whether or not I actually love you. He said, I've, I've actually told you the way in which you can see that I've loved you. So if you're wondering about it, and you go, does God love me? You can look and see. He says, I'll show you how I love you. And this is the demonstration of my love that's going to be made manifest to you. What is it? It's not that our cold would go away. It's not that our boyfriend would come back to us. It's not that we would have more money in our bank account. Those are often the types of things that we look to God and say, God, if you love me, then these things would be there. God says, that's not the test. That's a different kind of love. You're thinking of something else. The kind of love that I'm talking about and describing here is different than that. And the way that you see it is actually in and through Christ coming to you. In your unworthiness, in Romans 5 it tells us that he came to us while we were sinning, while we were sinners, while we were unworthy. And if we want to bring emotions into it, what's the emotion that it says that God has towards those who are apart from him, who are rebelling against him? Anger, wrath, right? So it's not based upon lovey-dovey emotions, and it's not based upon looking at us and going, wow, they, they, are, they sure are cute. I should do something nice for them. No, it's, it's something totally different than that, right? It's, it's an entirely different thing. It's, it's God saying, no, I'm going to demonstrate not a fuzzy feeling of emotion to you. I'm going to demonstrate agape to you. I'm going to commit myself to you. And I'm going to commit myself to you in such a way that you're going to see it. And it's not going to be the way that you expect, but you're going to see it demonstrated in and through Christ coming to us, humbling himself, lowering himself, as Nate was talking about, into the stinky stable, putting on our flesh, being being tested and tried and tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin persevering through everything that we've gone through, and then humbling himself, as it says in Philippians, even to the point of death. I'm, I'm demonstrating to you how much I love you in this way. And it's far beyond fuzzy sentimentality. It's far beyond, well, you deserved it, so you had it coming anyway. No, it's deeper than that. It's much more, it's much more broad. It's much much more beautiful than that. It's much more unexpected than that. It's much more, even say, scandalous than that. Like, wait, what? Like, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to us in our minds when we think about what love should be. God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your ways. This agape love is different than what you expect. In spite of us, God loved us, and he sent his son to us. And it says to be what? The propitiation of our sin, right? To, to, to take away the thing that keeps us from Him. To remove the barrier in our hearts. To remove the barrier in God's judgmental law court. 
to remove all the barriers, as Ephesians 2, to break down the walls of hostility now so that we can be reconciled back to him in love, in agape love, in real love, in, in real love that has substance. And it doesn't rise or fall based upon God's emotions or feelings. It doesn't rise or fall based upon our worthiness, our behavior. That's good news, right? If it's not founded upon those things, that means it's not sustained by those things as God continues to love us. And this gift of love that he has given us is shown to us in and through Christ. And this love comes to us in this little baby born in the manger because God is love. And so let's keep this in our minds as we as we go through this season. As we go through the various levels of what Christmas is, or what Advent is, what the holidays are. As our schedules change and, and become busier and when we think we're not doing anything, but we're actually doing more. Let's remember that this is the type of love that's right at the heart of it. That God shows to us, he demonstrates to us his commitment to us, to love us when we are not worthy of love, when his emotions would tell him otherwise. But he, he's promised to us and he, he brings that promise to be in and through Christ. And so when we watch these movies, when you flip on the Hallmark Channel and you watch the 3,574 Christmas movies that they crank out every year, because this is what they're trying to grasp at, right? That's what these holiday movies, like everyone has this intuitive sense that there's more to this season than what gets talked about, right? Everyone, every, everything's always like, ah, the real meaning of Christmas, and it's, and it's usually like in that sentimentality kind of place. But, but underneath all of it, everyone kind of has this sense of like, yeah, this, the, the purpose of this season is kind of different than what we mostly lean into most of the time. Even the world has this sort of sense, right? Like, eh. And these, these Hallmark movies, they, they kind of miss it. Right? There, there are probably two that I think kind of almost get it. Right? When you watch uh, The Christmas Carol, or you watch a, It's a Wonderful Life. Like those two are kind of like almost kind of getting it. The, this, the, the heart of what it is uh, that Christmas is really about. Right? Because these guys, the, the, the Scrooge and the, the George Baileys, and, but they have to have this sort of change, right? They have to have this change in perspective from, from what they thought to this like, sort of deeper meaning. And, and it's, in both of the cases, it's usually around the themes that are kind of close to what we're talking about, right? Of like, sacrifice and generosity service love right not the sentimental love that the the big city lawyer feels when she shows up to the small town and she falls in love with the shopkeeper <laughs> that not that that's not the kind of love that we're talking about and you know exactly you know exactly what I'm talking about don't you This is a helpful shift for us in our hearts and our minds. And that's why I think those movies can be valuable to us because they, although they don't really hit the nail on the head, they're sort of shadows that point to the greater reality of what's happening. And we can learn from that and we can glean from that. So watch those movies. But just watch them with the right lenses on, right? What these movies wish that they could say 
what they really hoped that they could say was what John says here in verses 11 and 12. That's what they hoped that they could say. That's what they're trying to say. They just don't have the words for it. They don't have the grid for it because they've not experienced the agape love of God often. So they're grasping at straws. They know there's something deeper here, but they can't quite get to it. And look what he says in verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, he's talking to believers, right? He's talking to, to the people of God here. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And notice this first word in verse 11. It's the same word as the first word of verse 7, right? What is it? Beloved. Beloved. It's the same word, agape. It's agape right? He's saying agape And he's using it as an identifier. He's using it as an identity. He's saying as if it's a fact. He, he's using that as our name to describe us. We are beloved. We are agape And there's a past tense to it. There's a present tense to it. And there's a future tense. Right? We are agape Past, present, and future. And because we have been agape by God, he's saying it's important now for us to love agape one another. We finally and fully grasp God's agape love for us. We understand the depth of that love. We understand the roots of that love, where that love comes from, and the, the form and the shape that it actually takes that Nate showed us from the, the scope of Scripture, right? This is what it actually looks like. We understand that we don't deserve it. We understand that it doesn't rise and fall on our behavior, on, on our emotions, what we feel toward God or what He feels towards us. It rises and falls based upon God's commitment to us in Christ. When we grasp that, and that goes, and that, that clicks into our hearts, right? When the coin falls all the way into the vending machine, boop. Ah, he says, when that clicks in, the immediate next step is, oh, I should love you that way. Because that's pretty great. <laughs> when somebody loves us that way, we go, that's amazing. I didn't deserve it. I didn't do anything to earn it. But God loved me that way. He committed himself to me. He made a promise to me and he fulfilled that promise. And he's given me everything in Christ. And it compels us and it propels us to love one another in the same way. But God's not looking at you and saying, okay, now just look within yourself, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and, and muster up this agape love. Just dig deep and really get in there and pull that agape love out. Not what he's saying. This type of agape love does not grow out of our flesh. It doesn't grow out of our flesh. This type of love grows in the hearts of the beloved. The agape love grows out of the hearts and the lives of the beloved of God. The agape. That's where it comes from. In Mark chapter 1, 
we see this picture of Jesus' baptism. If you remember that story, Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist. And in that scene, it says that there's this voice, this voice of the Father from the heavens. I tend to think that that's probably like an audible voice that people heard. I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But it says there was this voice that people heard. And what did the voice say? This is Jesus, right as he's getting ready to start his ministry. He hasn't changed the water to wine yet. He hasn't fed the 5,000 yet. He hasn't raised Lazarus from the dead yet. He hasn't done any of that yet. And God says to him, what? You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. This is the same word, beloved. He says to Jesus, his son, he says, you are my beloved son. You are my agape son. And I am pleased with you. Before you've done any ministry, I am pleased with you. He sets that identity. He sets that foundation of agape, of beloved son, first. And so Jesus was operating from a position of agape and not for a position of agape. He wasn't trying to earn God's agape love. He already had it. God makes it clear to everyone. This, he's saying it to Jesus and he's saying it to everyone who will listen. This is my beloved son. I am pleased with him. He has my love. He has my blessing. And if we believe what Ephesians says, that we are made alive together with Christ, with him, this one who's the beloved son, and that in him, when we are in him, we have every spiritual blessing. This is what it's talking about. We are now the beloved. This is why John uses that language, because he knows that this is true. This is why he calls the people of God the beloved, which is the same word that he himself, who was at that baptism, heard the father say to Jesus. John was there, the guy writing this. He heard it. He said, well, God said that he was the beloved son. And now he's calling himself and us the same name, beloved, agape because we are in Christ. He knows that we are in him. We are united to him in this agape. So what Jesus has, we have, which includes the agape and the blessing and the, ple the pleasure of the Father is on us. He is pleased with you and me in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, that doesn't apply to you. It doesn't. That's the only place where we can find that agapedness. I'm just making up words all the time. But that's the only place it exists, is in Christ. That's the only place where you're going to hear God say to you, with you I am well pleased. He's not going to say it to you anywhere outside of Christ. It's not going to happen. You're not going to earn it. And He's not going to give it. Apart from Christ, he said that's the way through Christ's propitiation of your sin. But in a moment, it can be you. It can turn. That can change in this very moment. When you turn to him, when you give yourself to him. You can have that. You can you can have God say to you, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in you. I am well pleased. You're like, God, I haven't done anything for you yet. He's like, yeah, it's not. That's not how this works. 
Like, God, I'm just now saying this prayer to you. I'm just now giving my life to you. Don't you, shouldn't I have to like work a little bit to like earn some of that? He's like, no, no, that's not how this works. Before you do anything for me, I establish your position, which is beloved. And he is pleased with you. That's different than what we expect, right? It's different than what our hearts naturally run to. And so now, John is saying, because those of us who are in Christ and those of us who John is talking about when he says beloved, because we are with Christ, also called beloved, we can and we should love one another with that same type of love. This is the flow, right? This is the flow of agape. And this is possible. Why? Because God has given us his spirit. God has given us his spirit. And Galatians 5.22 says that when, when God's spirit is at work in us and we are abiding in Christ and we are walking in the spirit, one of the first fruits that begins to grow on this tree is what? Agape. That's what it says. When you read the list of the fruits of the Spirit, the first one listed, the fruits of the Spirit are these. Agape, that's the first one. We say love, but it's agape. It's this love. Agape grows on a tree of, of the heart of the person who is beloved by God. That's where it comes from. It's the only place it comes from. This is, this is the fruit of the agape heart. And so this, this Christmas, this Advent, whatever you want to call it, let, let's take this unique opportunity because this season really is unique because these themes are right at the forefront of everybody's minds. It's unique. Let's take this opportunity to love one another. And it's talking about, it's talking about the, the people of God. To love the people of God. Your brothers and your sisters with this agape love that God has given to you. If you don't remember that, if you don't believe that to be true, that you have been agaped first, you're not going to agape your brothers and your sisters. You're going to treat them the way that you, in your nature, believe that you have been treated. Because you've forgotten that God has loved you in spite of you. And he's loved you when you weren't worthy. And he's loved you when his, when his emotions towards you were anger. And he, he, he committed himself to love you and demonstrate that love to you in the midst of that, in spite of you. So if we embody that, because we remember that that's actually true, that'll change things, right? That'll change how we interact with one another. That'll change how we, we, we fellowship with one another. That'll change us. This is, the, this is the flow of it, right? It comes from the Father through Christ to his people. And this is intended to give shape now to the relationships that we have with each other as God's people. And in, in such a way that those who are not yet God's people can see it and notice it and go, that's different. I don't have a category for that. I'm, I have this definition of love in my head, but that seems different. And we're like, yeah, it's called agape. It's different. And this is how we love each other. We commit to one another. 
We lay down our lives for one another. We give up our comfort for one another. We give up our possessions for one another. We give up our time and our resources and our hearts and our emotions for one another. We give up these things for one another. And, and, and in such a way that the world can see it and they go, oh, I really would like to have that. This is what he says. If we love one another, no one has seen God, but they can see God's love in and through his people. That's the point of this. We're certainly called to love our neighbors. And we're certainly called to love those who are not yet in God's family. But if we skip the part where we love the one another, we're missing a part that Jesus says is incredibly important. He says, this is how they will know that you are my disciples. This is how they know that you're the agape. If you agape one another, that's how they know. We're called to, to love in that order. We love God, we love one another, and we love the world. And just like it's the best thing for, for, for children, when their parents love each other, and they agape one another, that's the best thing for their children. Not, to, not that the parents are sort of like fighting all the time, but, oh, we love you. The kids, they notice that. They see that. They're like, that, this is off. I don't feel safe here. I don't feel comforted by this. I don't, right? We get it twisted in our minds. God calls the, the husband and the wife to agape one another. And that's the best environment that the kids can witness it and go, oh, okay, I see that. It's the same principle for us in the church. We are called to agape one another so that the world can look in and go, oh, okay, that's different. And God can use that to turn people's attention towards himself. So let's ask the Spirit to help us this season. Let's believe that we are the agape, the beloved of God. And as we think about all the interactions that we're going to have over the next couple of weeks, all the family and friends that we're going to see, all the, all the church people that we're going to be encountering and bumping elbows with. Let's ask God to show us, how can I, one, rest in your agape love for me, and then how can I live out that agape love to my brothers and my sisters? Who needs, who needs me to be a source of agape love in their life? Who needs that? Who have you put around me? Who's in my MC? Who's not in my MC? Let, let's be intentional about asking the Lord to show us what this looks like. Because I think that He will. But, if, but we, can't just, we can't just start to march into it without first abiding in the belovedness that we have. If we don't do that, it's not going to flow out. It's the, what's going to come out of us is that old fleshy love that's going to be based on our emotions, or it's going to be based on how, we, how worthy we think that person is to receive our love. If we're not abiding in the Spirit, that's what's going to come out of us, probably. And so let's go to Him. Let's ask Him to help us. And let's love one another as God has loved us, as His beloved. Let's pray. God, we thank You. We praise You. We thank You that You have loved us first. And we ask that You would help us to love you and to remember your love for us and to love one another with that agape love.